0: turn to Colossians chapter 1. We'll read from verse 16. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 says, For by him, Jesus Christ, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Two of the age-old questions that probably men, women, and children have asked themselves from bygone days is, how did I get here, and why am I here? Two questions that many of us, have searched the answers for, and scientists have spent hundreds of years trying to prove that the earth began with an explosion from nothing that produced an intricately designed and ordered earth. They've also tried to prove that humanity then just evolved from animals uh, that were were a result of this supposed explosion. And there is just something within each person, each human being that seems to want to know the answer to these two questions. How did I get here? And why am I here? What is my purpose? Is it just to live a shallow existence of waking up, working, going to sleep, procreating, having a family, and then just dying and that's it? Or is there something more? And I would suggest that the proof that there is something more in our lives or to our lives is that that very desire to understand and know more about our origin and our purpose. If there was nothing more to know or understand or realize about our lives and our purpose, we wouldn't want to search. We would know that, you know, this is all there is to life. But you see, each and every person at some point in their lives asks those questions. How did I get here? And why am I here? Why, why do I breathe? Why do I wake up in the morning? Why do I live? It is inherent in all humanity. And so with the help of the Lord tonight, I want to help us answer and maybe remind some of us of how we got here and why we're here. And we'll just pray. Father, I thank you, Lord God, that you have called us into this body into this family, into this kingdom. And I'm just so thankful, Lord, for the privilege and honor that it is to come into your presence so freely. God, that we don't have to wait for once a year when the priest would go in and offer. But, God, we can just walk in with boldness, God, confidence that you are there ready to meet us. And, Lord, tonight we've entered in worship and praise, oh, God, and you are here. And I pray, Lord, that you would anoint your servant, that, God, what I say, Lord, what you've laid upon my heart, would go forth, and Lord, that it would bring Lord, fruit in our lives, God, that it would bring forth good fruit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for those of us who don't, do not believe that the Bible is the infallible and true word of God, it will be a struggle to completely answer those two questions. Many people spend years researching the mind and what makes a person tick, what, it is, that, you know, what is it that we're really here for, and what is our purpose. And there are hundreds of books and articles and self-help things and courses that you can go on to find out who you really are, to reach your full potential and answer that question, why I'm here. But unfortunately, many of these options give a second-rate answer to those questions that are either only part truth or even a lie. But for those of us who believe that this here is the Word of God, as Hebrews said, it's powerful and living then we can go to our opening text in Colossians 1 and answer that first question. How did I get here? It says that all things were created by him. It wasn't just the earth that we uh, live in and the animals that we see, but it was humanity as well. He created everything. The first verse in the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. There's no confusion. There's no Oh is it really true? If we believe that the Word of God is, is the Word of God, then we know God created the heaven and the earth. Genesis two seven says that the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So it seems relatively straightforward. We're created by him. Tick that off the list. And that is true and biblically accurate. And we tell people who are asked what we believe, we believe what we're saying, but I feel tonight that the Lord is wanting to remind us about who it was that created us. Who is this God? Who is God that created me? Psalm 19 verse one says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech and night unto night showeth knowledge. At youth camp just a few weeks ago, I was speaking with one of our young people on our way to service and the sun had gone down and it was pretty dark and we happened to look up into the sky and both of us just kinda went, wow, wow. Here in suburbia with all the street lights and lighting in our homes, we don't always see what's out there, it looks dark. But I suggest that someday when you're not in suburbia, when it's dark, that you take a moment to turn your eyes to the sky. You would see a vast expanse of billions and billions of stars which, by the way, are the stars in our galaxy. And there's more galaxies above and beyond our galaxy. We're only just a small part of the actual universe. Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God, and night after night it shows how big our God really is. Every night if you go out, wow. Next night, wow. When you see the expanse of the sky, and that's just the sky, Look at creation and the Grand Canyon and and the vast landscapes of our land. And you just think, wow, who is this God? Isaiah 66 verse 1 says, Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made and all those things have been, saith the Lord. Heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. This massive round ball of dirt that we live on is just suspended in space and he's just, it's his footstool. Psalm 33 verse 6 to 9 says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as a heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Our pastor spoke to our young people last night and um, about, it was answering some questions. And he was talking about Genesis 2 when it says that the Lord God formed Adam and breathed into him. And he was explaining that writers of the word of God used human terminology and language to explain things and, God, and explain God at times because we're just not able to comprehend God as a spirit. We can't see Him, it's, He's not tangible as such. You cannot touch Him. And it says that the Word of the Lord made the heavens and that He breathed from His mouth. And we know that God is a spirit. And so He doesn't have a literal mouth to breathe from. Um, we can't understand Him, we can't comprehend who God really is as a spirit. But from this, we can see it was an expression of His power and His might. Earth being his footstool doesn't mean that he's up there in a chair, you know, in his recliner chair and he's got his foot up on, on earth. That's not, he doesn't have feet. But Isaiah was trying to help us to understand the majesty and greatness of God, the absolute wow of God. That earth, we, we think we're these mighty, awesome, cool people that, you know, just rock the earth, and, and, but we're nothing. Earth is his footstool. I mean, we're, we're tiny. Verse 8 of Psalm 33 says to fear the Lord. That doesn't mean that we need to be frightened or scared of God. It's not a, it's not a scared or terrified of the darkness or, or, or of evil kind of being scared. But, and we know that he is a God of love and a God that cares for each of us. But it does mean that we are to reverence and respect him. Too often we come into the house of God. And forget the God that we're worshipping. Too often we come into his presence and go about whatever we're doing, not remembering that the God that we serve is powerful and mighty. He is an all-consuming fire. And if it wasn't for his long-suffering and his unconditional love for his people, we wouldn't be alive, let alone standing in his presence today. The Word of God tells us that he is a jealous God and that he will not share his glory with another or anyone else. He is the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, and the creator of all things. Everything consists from him. And our pastor shared a thought with me last night in regards to this, and there's a verse in Proverbs 18 that we all like to quote that says, uh, talking about the Lord, there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And we go, oh, isn't that nice? Jesus is my BFF, you know, best friend forever. But pastor made this comment about this verse jesus may be my friend but i've never had another friend that's god so even though jesus is our friend and he should be the one we run to in a time of need he is a different kind of friend to those we consider friends in our humanity he is a holy almighty powerful god and all things consist by him just find this verse because i just Second Corinthians chapter twenty-nine. If we we'll turn there, actually, it's First Corinthians, uh, First Chronicles, sorry, chapter twenty-nine, verse eleven and twelve. Get there. We sung before, Majesty, Majesty. First Chronicles twenty-nine, verse eleven to twelve says, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the Majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might. And in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. He is majesty. He is majestic. He is powerful. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we think that we are the ruler of our own lives and our own creator, when you, my great creator, became my savior. The one who created me became his creation. He became human. He manifested himself in flesh and died for us, knowing that some of us would continue to think that we are the creator of our own lives, that we are the ones that should be in control. So we've established from the word of God tonight that we are created by the almighty God. That back in Genesis 1, 1, when God created the heavens and the earth, that included me. And we established that the God that created us is big and mighty and is so far above anything that we could ever comprehend. And we must fear him. Too often in the Bible, there are stories Time after time that we can learn from of people that did not respect and reverence the spirit and the presence of God. And they were punished or destroyed, wiped out. So we figured out how we got to be here. Why were we created? Why, why are we here? And there are many reasons that we could give tonight of why God created us. We learned just a few weeks ago that God created us because he needed someone to love. He needed someone to express his love too and that is one of the reasons but I want to focus on one aspect tonight that most of us will be aware of and understand but I just feel that this is where the Lord has led me. If we'll turn to Revelation 4. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. Thou art worthy O Lord to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. The reason we were created was for the pleasure of Almighty God. He created us that he could have pleasure in us. And how does he have pleasure in us? Ephesians 1 and 12 says that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. We were created to give him praise and glory, to bring him honor and And worship. And I'll tell you this now it is impossible that you not be a worshiper. Everyone in this room, everyone outside of this room, is a worshiper. It's in our spiritual DNA, it is the reason we are alive. And at times you may speak with someone about worship and they say, oh, that's just church stuff. That's not for me, that's church stuff. But the reality is, whether or not you think you do, you worship. You worship Romans 1 verse 21 to 25 says, Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds, and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed or exchanged the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Each of us has a desire to worship. And so the question is not really, are you a worshiper? It's actually, what are you worshipping? Sinful humanity took their desire to worship and rather than direct it to the one that created the desire in them, took it upon themselves to worship themselves, to worship flesh, what I want. What do I want in my life? I'm going to please myself. People that worship creation, the birds and the bees and the the air, Mother Nature. So what is worship? Worship in the dictionary is defined as respect or honor. Adoration and reverence of someone or something. Worship is giving someone or something all of who you are. It is giving lordship and honor to God. It is saying, God, you are the supreme one. God, you are the only wise God. I am I'm nothing. You are worthy of all praise and all glory. And I'm going to surrender my all to you. And there are many examples that we can give of worship in our day-to-day living. And one of the most popular examples that we use would be of a sports fan. And I have a friend, not within the church, who is a completely and utterly sold-out fan of the Hawthorne Hawks. And he will tell you all the players. He will tell you all the stats. He goes to every single game, whether it's in Perth or not. He will scream and shout and rejoice when the Hawks get a goal. He is completely in love with this team of complete strangers who when they go home after a game have no idea who my friend is, who have absolutely no idea that he was in the stadium screaming and shouting like a madman. They're going home to their fancy homes and their big paycheck and they have no idea that he exists. I remember when David first moved to Australia and we all know David's an avid fan of soccer and he was at our house one night and his soccer team was playing or something and It was late at night, obviously, with the time difference. So it was like two or three in the morning. And I remember waking up at around that time and I could hear someone, it sounded like someone was suffocating themselves, but trying to let out a screech at the same time, muffling their own voice. And I remember him saying, I I don't know if it was the next day or not, that he was so excited for his thing, but he couldn't be, because there were people downstairs trying to sleep. And so he had this pillow that he was trying to shove over his face. Sorry, David. Because he was so excited for his team. He just, he had to let it out. And we laugh at these examples. We do. And we think, oh, how silly are these people? But what has God done for us? If we could truly comprehend what the Lord did for us, when the great God and creator, that awesome one that we just spoke about, that the expanse of the stars, he just, you know, he created the stars also, became a willing sacrifice for humanity. I wonder how we would and should act. Imagine you're in a stadium and you're waiting for the game. And out comes this one lone player. This is a different kind of game. It isn't a team sport. It's played by one man, one person. And there were no qualifying games before this game because there could only be one man that could ever qualify for this. And he's limping around the stadium carrying a cross beaten and bloodied from the previous few hours of the game. And you see him crucified on that cross in the middle of the stadium. And just before he dies, he looks over and he goes, this is for you. This is for you. What sports team has ever turned around and said, that goal was for you? Never. Those people don't know who we are. And that's what happened. Jesus Christ came into this earth and died for each and every one of us. And it wasn't a game. He showed his love through manifestation. He, he showed his love through manifesting himself in flesh and dying for us. And many people will scream, shout, praise, and worship famous sports stars and other various things in this world with no reason for it. Those that, worship, those that they worship never did anything for them, ever did anything for them. So how do we respond to the love of God? How should we come before Him knowing what He has done for us? How do we show our love back to Him? When you love someone, when you adore someone, that love and adoration must be manifest. It must be shown. There must be some kind of action. If a man only tells his wife on their wedding day that he loves them and then after that says, oh, she, she knows I love her. You're going to have problems in your marriage. Not that I have experience, but, you know, it's just common sense. Before they got married, he was buying her flowers and writing her sweet little notes and telling her how much that he just adored her. That's what should be happening after they got married. Once you become a born again believer, once you are washed in his blood and filled with his spirit, if you truly understand what God has done for you, you cannot sit still in your chair. You cannot but help to praise him. And I'm not saying that everyone has to be a crazy, jumping up and down, running around the church, hanging off chandeliers kind of a person. But I can tell you that the word of God does say that we should leap for joy, that we should shout with a voice of triumph, that we should clap our hands, all ye people, sing praises to his name, praise his name in the dance, sing hallelujah, and make a loud noise. People say that Pentecost is too loud and too boisterous and and too violent in worship. Well, that's what the Word of God says. The Word of God says to do those things, to worship with a loud voice. And I wonder what would happen if we took these verses that teach us about worship and took them more as worship commands than worship suggestions. Too often, we think that they're just, oh, that was David, just, you know, that was his psalm. That's a command, to worship God. Who is worship for? would think oh god and you see what we fail to understand sometimes is that worship even though it is for god really doesn't benefit god god's already as big as he can get he just he fills everything there is no words that we can say no action that we can do or perform that will make him any bigger But when it says, oh, come and magnify the Lord with me, what happens when we do this, when we lift God up, when we sing and shout and praise him with everything in us, it magnifies him in our sight. We see him as he truly is rather than what we think he is. We are finite human beings limited in our ability to perceive God and how big he is. But when we worship, When we praise, when we go beyond the way that we think and give him glory, our eyes are opened and we see the majesty and the power of God. When you praise and worship God, you are entering into the presence of an almighty God and you are able to change the atmosphere for where the miraculous can take place. Yes, worship is to God but it also opens up the floodgates of God's glory and his power so that you can be blessed, so you can be healed, so you can be delivered. How many times have we heard the story of Paul and Silas in the prison, beaten, whipped, tied up in chains, and at midnight there's Paul. We start singing, there's something about praising the Lord. And Silas is thinking, this guy's finally gone nuts. Do you... Come on, Paul, what are you doing? But something gets a hold of Silas. You know, worship and praise is contagious. It's contagious. If you get one person tapping their finger, someone's going to start tapping their foot, and then someone's going to start moving. It's contagious. And so Silas, he's like, well, what else is there to do? And he starts joining in, and then all of a sudden, the prison is shaken, the doors are open, their chains are gone, and they're free. Delivered miraculously. 2 Chronicles tells the story of Jehoshaphat and how he led the people of God in victory and won a war without lifting a sword. They won the battle by worship and praise. When Joshua told the people to walk around Jericho after he was given the instructions from God, they must've thought he was crazy. What's, what's that gonna do, Joshua? How is walking around this city gonna put, tear down the walls? Why would you put the priests at the front with the ram's horns? We aren't taking weapons. Why are we not putting the fighters up the front? Nope, we're taking a different kind of weapon this day. On the seventh day, when we've walked around that city, when you hear that horn go, I want you to let out a great shout and you worship God and God will deliver this city into our hands. We've heard a lot over the past month or so about the weapon that is prayer and how we need it in our lives to war. There is another weapon, this weapon is worship. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Worship pulled down the stronghold that was the walls around Jericho. It's not always easy and just like prayer, it takes sacrifice. It takes a complete yielding to the spirit and will of God and saying, God, I'm going to worship you no matter what I'm feeling. No matter how I am feeling, God, you are worthy. God, you are great. God, you are still on the throne. God, as we heard this morning, is still greater. Still greater. Just because they sung a song that I didn't like or the chord wasn't right for my vocal range doesn't mean I sit back and watch everyone else worship. I don't even have to sing the song. I can use my own words to worship God. We don't live by what we feel. We don't live by what we see, but by what the Word of God says. And if the Word of God tells me that I am to shout unto God with a voice of triumph, even when I feel like I'm losing the battle, I'm going to shout because He said so in His Word. The Word of God tells me that we are to give a sacrifice of praise. It isn't meant to be easy. It is to surrender our will, ourselves, in order to praise him. Because why? Because he is worthy. Remember who we were created by. It was that awesome, terrible as it says in the Bible, just means awesome, mighty, powerful God. A God that will not share his glory with another. He is the only one that deserves praise and glory. Nothing else in this world deserves that praise and glory. That is to him and him alone. So who can worship? There are many areas of the church that we may not be able to be involved in. There are certain requirements for certain areas of ministry. Not everyone is a pastor. Not everyone can be involved in overseas missions. Not everyone will be a Sunday school teacher or a youth leader. Preaching requires a calling. But you see, worship just requires a willingness. You just have to be willing. If you are willing, you can be a worshiper. It just requires an act of surrender. John four twenty four says, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And we must be careful that when we outwardly worship with singing and dancing and lifting of our hands, that it is an extension of what is happening on the inside. We can't live horrible, terrible lives and not worship God throughout the week and then come Sunday morning and we're all like, Whoa. people will see through it in the end and God sees through it anyway. God sees. He knows the heart. He, know, he can see the heart of man. We must be following the will of the Spirit and worship, worshiping him in truth with a genuine desire to lift him up. David, a man after God's own heart, was a worshiper. And so many of the songs that he wrote became well-known songs that we still sing today. David knew what it was to worship. We turn to Second Samuel chapter 6. The nation of Israel are at this point in a state of spiritual decline. Saul had been the leader of the nation and had not kept his heart right and had taken the people of God with him on his downward spiral. And we pick up where David has just become king and he knows that he has to do something about all of this. He he has to bring these people back to God somehow. And so he sets out to bring back the Ark of the Covenant back. The Ark of the Covenant was symbolic of God's presence among the people. Unfortunately, it had not been kept in the central position that it was meant to be in. And as a result, neither had God been kept. It had been taken by the Philistines years before. And David knew that if he was to be a good king that would help Israel, he needed to bring the presence of God back into the nation of Israel. And so David sets out to bring the ark back. And we read the account from verse 12 of 2 Samuel 6. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obedidim. And all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obedidim into the city of David with gladness. And it was so that when they that bare the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now, verse 13 says that when they had gone six paces, they sacrificed and David danced before the lords. And I've heard it preached that, you know, they walked six paces and then they worshipped and then they walked another six paces and then they worshipped. But commentaries are unclear as to whether or not that's actually what it meant Um, or whether it was just at the beginning and at the end or just at the beginning. But whether it was one or the other doesn't really matter. (laughs) David understood what it was to have the presence of God in its rightful place. He knew what it was to dance before the Lord and thank him for allowing them to usher in the presence, the ark, back into the nation of Israel. And we read in verse 16 that Michal, I think, Saul's daughter and David's wife, looked out through a window of the palace and rather than running down and joining in in worship with her husband, despised David in her heart. Despised David in her heart. We read in verse 14 that David, and why? Why did, why did she despise him? Well, we read in verse 14 that David was girded with a linen ephod. And in a parallel in, in First Chronicles where it tells the same story, we read, re, read that he put the linen ephod over his royal garments, those, the, the purple, and what made him, okay, this is the king. He put the linen ephod over. David took on him the usual clothing worn by a priest or a Levite rather than walk around in his royal robes showing off his kingly garments he chose to put on a garment of service david was showing the people being an example to the people that although he was the king of israel he was willingly he willingly owned himself to be a servant of god david's wife despised him because she thought he should have been acting more like a king but you see david understood that he was really just a servant He really was just a man, just a man, a servant of the Most High God, and God was the King of kings. So it didn't matter if he was a king because God trumps that. David was never too dignified to worship. We sing the song, since the Spirit of the Lord is in my heart, I will dance like David danced. If you see someone worshipping and you despise them in your heart, or you say something under your breath about that person, watch out because that lady became barren. She never had kids again. The Lord punished her for that. Don't ever despise someone for their worship of God. You have no idea what they've been through. You have no idea what God's delivered them out of. And if you realize what God had done for you, you would understand that that's how we we give back to God. That's how we thank Him for all that He's done for us. When we truly allow the Spirit of God to move in us and have dominion when we give him the lordship god you are lord of me you are the lord when we give it unto him we cannot but help to dance and shout and worship and sing and praise him there really is only one qualifier when it comes to worship and we find it in psalm 150 in verse 6 let everything that has breath praise the lord praise ye the lord are you breathing tonight if you have breath in your lungs, you can worship God. You can lift him up. And we are commanded to lift him up and praise him. We read in Luke 1940 where there were people shouting and praising Jesus. He was coming into the city. And they were just so excited because of all the great and marvelous things that he'd done. And some of the Pharisees spoke out from the crowd and told him, Master, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to be quiet. They're ruining all the pompous of the ceremony. And Jesus responds in verse 40 and says, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. One commentary says that it may not be that God would raise up the actual stones and, you know, speak, but he will raise up an instrument to declare his praise, for the power of God will not return empty. Whether you praise him or not, whether you push through the barriers that you feel at times and the weariness that does easily come on us, He will be praised. He will be worshipped. He will find someone that will worship Him. Creation itself speaks of the awesome power of God. We read it before that the heavens declare the glory of God. But God created me, specifically with a mouth, with hands and with feet, so that I could choose to worship Him. The animals, the trees, the vast landscapes of Australia don't choose to worship. They just do. What they are is just praise to God. Are we going to allow something like a rock or a tree or an animal of any sort or a bug take my place in worship to God? Why would I do that? But I remember a time when when I first came into Pentecost, and I, I did not lift my hands or sing loud or dance or do anything other than sing the words of the songs and even clapping could be hard for me at times. And I remember so many times feeling like Jeremiah did when he decided he wasn't going to preach the word and it was like this fire in my bones and I just really wanted to get it out. But I just held on to the pew and I'd be like, I'm good, I'm good. And I wouldn't let it out. I would continue to hold it in because I was scared that other people would look at me and laugh or that people would think that I was weird or all these weird things that happened in my head that weren't even real. And it wasn't until I finally allowed the Spirit to have His way in me, to just yield to Him and to allow Him to just flow out of me that I just wanted to thank Him and just appreciate Him for what was happening on the inside. I just had to let it come out on the outside. That's why now when I sing that song, He Set Me Free. He set me free. I was bound in my own thoughts, my own worries, and yet He set me free. So now I can jump and I can lift my hands and I can shout and I don't care about what anyone else is thinking because I'm focused on God and how awesome He is and all that He's done for me. He he truly set me free. He set me free. Hallelujah. And now I can worship freely knowing that I am pleasing God. I'm doing what he created me to do to please him, to please the king of kings. I am fulfilling his will in my life, and I'm doing what he created me to do. If I could have a musician, it was to stand. We need to realize that when we say we believe in God, we believe in an almighty and powerful God, bigger than anything you can imagine, and he is worthy of all praise and all glory. He is sovereign and we need to reverence Him. We need to worship Him with a holy fear. We need to realize that we will only be completely fulfilled in life when we accept our purpose in life and surrender to that purpose. If we are created to worship God, then we should worship God. If we do not worship God, we will never ever be completely fulfilled in our pursuit of our purpose on this earth. If I had continued to hold the pew with my knuckles and get all white knuckles because I was holding so hard, even now I would still be unfulfilled. Even if I'd stayed in the church, I would still be unfulfilled because I'm not doing what God created me to do. Worship is and should be the manifestation of our love for God. It requires nothing but a willingness to surrender ourselves to the move of the Spirit and to just respond to what He has done for us. And because He is worthy and worship opens up an avenue for the glory and power of God to come in and change our lives, to do the miraculous, to heal, to deliver. We hear of stories all the time of people that worshipped in a moment of utter terror, of utter chaos, and God came in. God came into their situation. Let me tell you this. There aren't going to be any Sunday school teachers in heaven. There probably aren't going to be any preachers or missionaries because everyone's saved in heaven. There aren't going to be pastors or ministers. But I can also tell you this. There will be worshipers. There will be worshipers. And if you don't enjoy worshiping God now, I don't know what it will be like for you in heaven. Because the culture of heaven is worship. We will be around the throne just lifting him up. He is holy. He is worthy. He is amazing and awesome. We see in the book of Revelation over and over that heaven is going to just be filled with praise and worship of his people. Revelation 5 verse 11 says, And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the lord forever and ever i can imagine it's just going to be a continual roll a continual rolling of thunder of worship holy holy and this person will go holy and this person will say amazing and it'll just back and forward back and forward holy holy is the lord god almighty and everyone will bow everyone and at that point you won't have a choice everyone will bow to the name of jesus christ and will worship him but i want to choose now to worship him i want to choose now to please him to lift him up hallelujah hallelujah and i want to just open these altars for just a few moments to allow you the opportunity to come and present yourself before him and worship